This is Fundraising Radio, episode number 16, and today's a guest speaker. We have Andy Scherer. Sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Um, so Andy is the founder of Peanut Butter Ventures, who raised over $140,000 on Indiegogo campaign. And today he will tell us mostly about that and also about his Shark Tank experience. So hang on, it's going to be definitely fun. And before we get started, I want to note that our sponsor is Marple App, which is a great app for making uh, really simple marketing ads for people who have, have absolutely no experience with PR. So uh, I'll leave a link in the description, check it out. And Andy, let's get started by you giving us some background on yourself and telling us a little bit about uh, what peanut butter pump is. All right, sounds great. Thanks, Constantine. And you pronounced my name perfectly, so no problems there. Uh, basically, I'm a, I'm a 50-year-old, 51-year-old man. I've been involved in financial services uh, for uh, about 25 years, most of my working life. And I had, a, <clears throat> I had sort of a Walter Mitty existence. For those of you who don't know the story, he had a secret imaginative life during his uh, office job. And what I did in that vein is I had a list of inventions that I thought I would work on. Um, and of course, I never did anything with them until very recently when I got laid off from the company I was working for. And I took the invention, uh, which is something I've been, you know, one of the oldest ones on my list and one of the simplest. Uh, as a dispenser pump for peanut butter. And when I got it working, I thought, uh, you know, Eureka, this is a great uh, thing. I got to share it with the world. And so uh, crowdfunding seemed like the natural solution to me at the time. And I did it. And I've become kind of, um, you know, famous in a very small way. Uh, <laughs> and, and um, you know, with an interesting patentable product that I think has a lot of applications and a bright future. Okay, God, that's kind of super cool being a Waller Media and then becoming an inventor. So uh, you've raised over $140,000 on Indiegogo. And uh, from my understanding, that requires some amount of money that has to be put into PR. Uh, so did you raise any money before running an Indiegogo campaign or how did it work? No, I didn't. Uh, I funded this entirely on my own up and, well, e even uh, up to the the Indiegogo launch, uh, but it does require m money. I mean, it's an interesting question because 90% of the projects on Indiegogo and Kickstarter fail, um, but I'm sure that they have many different reasons for failing. The ones who succeed, it, it's tough to know how much of it comes from marketing and how much of it comes from PR just having a good product and I don't think anybody knows the answer to that entirely but you know you won't stand out unless you have all three of them to a degree so it involves studying the landscape and trying to find the right platform and a company that will market your product effectively it I mean it's it's kind of a crapshoot but <laughs> but uh, you have to do your best, and I'm, you know, I'm definitely not in the 90% that, that didn't break out. I broke out, and I got some really good PR. So 
So speaking of PR, uh, do you do it yourself all by yourself, like self-taught or uh, do you hire someone? Can you talk a little bit about that process? No, I, I hired somebody. I mean, early on, when, when you look at the game and you see that most projects fail, you know, you figure you have to do something different from most projects. And, and it's clear that most of them fail because they don't, they simply uh, are lost in the crowd. And so I knew I needed marketing and marketing is one of the, um, one of the areas that I really never uh, got to in my professional career. So, you know, I know it's important and I know that I'm not good at it and I thought I just didn't have the time to learn it. So instead I decided to search for firms with a good track record on crowdfunding campaigns. And in particular, I looked for firms that had PR. Uh, which are pretty rare because most of them are either one or the other. And most of them are strictly marketing for crowdfunding plans. Also, you went to Shark Tank, sorry. Uh, and how did how did that go? So Shark Tank is a really famous show in the US for our European listeners who don't know Shark Tank, if those happen to be here. Um, but yeah, Shark Tank is a very famous uh, show in the US about startups. And they sometimes... Um, give deals to people. So Andy, how did it go? Did, from yeah, what I saw? Shark, Shark oh, Tank, um, in, in Europe, I think they have a number of equivalents called the Dragon's Den, but obviously uh, that's the UK and Australia um, and Canada. They have equivalent shows in other areas, but, but the show format is basically that people present their ideas and a panel of, of uh, investors um, will either decide to invest or not to invest. And in the U.S., it's probably the most successful of all the um, of all the shows around the world because it's been operating now for 11 seasons, and it seems that they're going for uh, the 12th season as well. So I was on the 11th season, which just aired. My episode aired in November, and I did not get a deal. Um, but I'm fortunate to get on the air and get a lot of publicity from it. Uh, so, it, you know, it's a very interesting process. It requires quite a lot of work uh, to, to, um, to go through their selection process and, and, and um, you know, a lot of time and effort to make it to provide a presentation on the show. Uh, and none of it has a, a guarantee of success. But... If you do it right and you get on the air, you have a guarantee of publicity. So it's a it's a win in that front. All right, guys. So uh, did the publicity help a lot? So uh, even though you were on Shark Tank after you ran your Indiegogo campaign, did that still help? Yes. Um, I mean, it it's gotten me a lot of exposure. It increased the sales on crowdfunding and on my own website. So. Mm-hmm. You know, having a product to sell, it would have benefited me a great deal. But one thing about Shark Tank is that they do not tell you when your episode is going to air. And in fact, they don't guarantee that it's going to air at all. Mm -hmm. They could have everything perfect and they love the episode, but then there would be a news event, for example, that cancels your show. So they don't guarantee any of that. And they also... Um, 
they also may save the footage and do it a following season or or never use it at all. So <clears throat> the fact that it's on the air was very beneficial to me, but I don't have control over the process. If, if I did, I would have them do the airing, say, in a month or two when the product was already uh, made. <laughs> you know, because, right? Yeah, that uh, makes you know, I'm sense. Sure a lot of people were put off uh, from from making a pre-order just because the product is not uh, doesn't exist yet. But I have no way of knowing how many, uh, you know, how many sales I lost. I can just tell you how many extra sales I got. Right. Got it. Uh, so let's go back to the Indiegogo campaign. From what I've heard, to raise over like ten thousand dollars, you have to input some. Uh, Kind of serious money. So, uh, are you comfortable speaking of how much do you put in to raise those hundred forty thousand? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, it's a little bit embarrassing because it's a lot of money, but it sort of depends what your goals are. Uh, and financially, it's not going to be a positive return on the first uh, on the first product, just because the initial expense is so high. Uh, and part of it is the content creation to make a video, which requires some investment. I did very well on that front and made the video for less than $5,000. Um, and then you also need to have your product to be good enough to, to film and demonstrate. But that's something I would have done anyway. So there's no marginal cost uh, to that. Uh, but there's the content creation for the video. But then you also have content creation for the text and the professional photographer for still images and things like that. And those I bundled into the um, marketing firm's uh, fee. So they had a retainer, which was about $20,000 that included the professional photographer and the copywriting um, which are and and the writing of the per and the special adaptation to the crowdfunding page and all of those are quite valuable uh probably you know ten thousand dollars worth of of work that was um <clears throat> that was part of the retainer uh, mm -hmm. so i i got a good amount uh, from the retainer but then after that um, there's advertising spend and i spent about uh seventeen thousand dollars total on advertising, uh, which is a pretty good return by itself, you know, because I got better than a seven to one ratio. So for every dollar I spent, I got seven dollars in sales, which, right. you know, is good for that's good enough to have an ongoing concern um, and a, a going business with that kind of uh, sales rate. Uh, but adding to the retainer, uh, it becomes more expensive. And then finally, uh, there was a bonus payment on the total amount raised, which was uh, 10%. So in total, it was about um, 37,000 plus the bonus, another, which wasn't the full 140. Um, it was on about uh, 120, so another 12. So, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit less than 50,000 total. Of Got course, it. that would be less if I had raised less, but um, of course. even so, it's quite expensive. All right. Got it. Yeah, I'm just clarifying that for people who think that uh, crowdfunding is free, you can just post your stuff there and it's going to magically give you like over 500 plus. 
returns. Uh, so people who are listening to this, this is not the case. You have to input money, you have to input work to make it work. All right, so uh, another question is, why did you choose crowdfunding, which requires a lot of effort, a lot of money versus the regular um, regular raising from a VC or angel investor or someone like that? Well, I mean, that's a very good question. And I have no idea whether my decision was the correct one or not. <laughs> and it probably depends who I could talk to in the VC world uh, to make that happen. I, I really tried hard to sell it to peanut butter companies uh, at the beginning. And I realized that while they really liked the concept, they have a, a corporate structure that really prevents them from investing at an early stage. Um, mm -hmm. I think they'll be happy to pay millions for the patent or to license it once it's proven and they're happy to purchase the actual product once they've vetted it, but they don't want to invest in anything uh, that that's unproven. Um, they'll invest on their own to maybe shave a tenth of a penny off every jar, you know, by getting a new plastic or a new wrapper or something. But but uh, it, that's very different from a new venture that's unproven. So I was guessing that the VC world would be very similar to that. And I had a few initial talks and really they didn't seem all that promising. So I just went to crowdfunding, which, uh, you know, seemed a more natural fit because individuals are a little bit more impulsive and happier to uh, spend 20 or $30 than a company. If I got a company to invest, I, would essentially need more than a hundred thousand dollars from one investor and um, especially without the without the pr and the publicity it it's um it's easy to talk to people and they can lead you on for a long time uh, and you get zero result the crowdfunding is a more direct validation of the concept but Once but i can tell you constantine that if i had found the right investor early on i I would not do crowdfunding at all. And also I, I was a bit naive in terms of thinking how easy crowdfunding would be. But, um, you know, once you get into it, uh, you, you learn a lot through experience. And I didn't quite know how difficult it was. But with that said, you know, for me, I think it's been a very productive journey because it's gotten me a lot of PR. Without the crowdfunding, I would not have gotten on Shark Tank. And there's a lot of market validation out there. I mean, I have I have, uh, you know, over 5000 units that have all been pre-ordered, uh, almost 6000 units now. And so it's clear that people want the product. And that's a very good thing for when I do talk to investors. Right. I got it. Yeah, that makes total sense. Making pre-sales is extremely important and serves as a great proof of concept. Uh, OK, so we have a question from Kirill. Uh, What's the problem of making the product? I believe he's talking about the peanut butter pump itself. Okay, well, actually, the biggest problem in my prototype was actually making the piston work. I mean, a pump is a very simple product, but but it has you know NASA level engineering in it, even though it's made out of cheap plastic. Uh, we're talking about a, a essentially a reciprocating piston that is airtight and grease tight. 
And it's, it's simply difficult to do. I talked to a lot of manufacturers that didn't want to get involved because it involves precise tooling and many iterations to get it right. Uh, so it really, it's just taken a long time. The other problem manufacturing it is though, is that even though the concept is simple, uh, there's no point in getting something that's going to work, but that will be difficult to use. And peanut butter is a very difficult product to deal with. That once it's an abrasive, it's a lubricant, and it's a food that, that needs to be food safe, and it's incredibly sticky. So to have a product that's going to be reusable and cleanable is a problem all by itself. So it required quite a lot of design that I hadn't um, I hadn't done before the crowdfunding campaign. So that's the real problem, you know, that the piston is is actually a difficult product to make. Um, that said, I'm happy with my manufacturer because they make a lot of pumps, and it just happens to be a custom pump. It's almost like going to a, um, a car manufacturer and asking for a motor with a longer piston, you know. They have their motors and they can put them in any car already. They don't want to make a new motor unless they have a really good reason. And pump manufacturers are pretty much the same. They have a compression tube and a suction tube and there's really no need to change it for most applications. And this is just a custom pump that's never been done before. And it's technically a challenge. And then add to that the fact that it needs to be cleaned and, and reused and it becomes more of a challenge. Uh, so. You know, I have all of those taken care of now, but it's, um, but, you know, you need to be careful with manufacturing because any mistake is expensive. Uh, the right. next question there, how am I planning to sell it further? Uh, that's that's um, an excellent question because one of the biggest users or one of the biggest applications for this is going to be commercial food service use. So obviously I'll have it on my website for individual purchase and, and families. Uh, you know, it's more attractive to high volume users. So we're talking families with school aged children, but also a whole host of say small bakeries that make peanut butter cookies or cupcake factories that uh, use it as an ingredient or even coffee shops. Uh, for the international listeners, it may, they may be surprised that in the US uh, even Starbucks has a peanut butter frappuccino, you know, and so they use this ingredient. It's ubiquitous here in the U.S. And the greatest use for the pump will be portion control from people who use a lot of peanut butter, uh, juice bars and things like that. So uh, a lot of it will be talking with food service distributors. I have a few companies that are interested. Uh, then we have club stores such as uh, Costco that may also uh, pick this up. They have the larger jars, which are ideal for the pump uh, because this solves many problems for them. So I have a few wholesalers that I'm talking to and many people, there's a number of websites that want to carry it as well. Uh, but, you know, the product needs to be available for them to sell. So I have those channels open, uh, but, you know, the product needs to be there. I hope that yeah. answers it. If it doesn't, let me know. All right, he'll type it in. Um, so I also was curious, what's your future plan for Peanut Butter Ventures? Are you planning to make it into some uh, big company or uh, 
try to sell the patent to someone? Well, I think the long-term future is going to incorporate the pump into retail packages as they're sold at the store already. Um, it, and it'll, it'll be twofold. What I'm making now is an aftermarket pump that is applicable to a, a very common uh, packaging. You know, these, these uh, jars have proven themselves over time to be the most cost-effective way to get really thick uh, food materials distributed. And so, you know, companies, companies that um, use a lot of peanut butter will be very happy to have the pump and use existing containers for it. But for the family and individual market, the people who want it just for convenience, uh, there's really no reason why it can't be sold integrated into the package. It makes the manufacturing cost, I mean, and the design incredibly simple compared to the aftermarket version. And I think just like it's, it's happened with uh, shampoos and soaps, pumps will gradually become an expected part of the peanut butter uh, landscape and many other viscous products such as Nutella, um, hummus, tahini, uh, perhaps even guacamole or, or things like that, and soaps and greases that, um, that otherwise are really messy to handle. I mean, I, I've had a number of people tell me that uh, truck drivers, for example, they need to use a lot of uh, grease uh, as they attach their trailers. And everybody knows they get dirty, but that doesn't mean they want to. And if they can have a pump instead of, you know, dipping their hands into a big grease tub every time, uh, that it would be valued. And I think that's the case. I think integrating into retail packaging is really the way for this to go. Um, and that's, that's my target in the end. But the aftermarket pump will continue because it's always going to be cheaper to sell the container without the pump than the container with the pump. So there will be there will be a dual use, kind of like right. many uh, cleaning products are sold with a trigger spray, but then they have a refill container. So the the aftermarket spray that's applicable to every container will be useful for large scale users, and then smaller uh, users who get it just for convenience will buy it with an in integrated into a retail package. I got it. Yeah. So you're aiming for big sales, which is pretty cool. And working with uh, um, big corporations. Uh, yeah. So that'll great. be, that'll be licensing. Right, right, right. We actually have a, here in open land, we have a B2B sales channel. So you might find something of value there. Uh, so check it out later on. Um, so we have another question from Sunil. What motivated you to work on this particular problem? <laughs> that makes well, sense. I've, that's that's a common question from crowdfunding people as well, and from the uh, the media outlets that that called me up. But it's really quite simple. Um, you know, I I was a single dad for for uh, a number of years with three kids, and I needed to pack their school lunches, and I didn't use peanut butter every day, but when I did. I just always knew there was a better way than scraping it from the jar. And, you know, I thought, well, they use pumps for soap. Uh, why can't they use it for peanut butter? And, and so that was on my list. Now it's many years later, but I thought it was one of the simplest inventions I could work on. And, and uh, I knew that it had a good application. So, so uh, the final question that I want to ask you is uh, what would be your advice for 
someone who's just planning to start his crowdfunding campaign? Well, <laughs> I guess uh, measure the costs very well and and use PR. Like, uh, I think study the landscape, get a good marketing firm that you're happy to work with and, and uh, go for it. I mean, I don't have any regrets. I just, you know, I wish it were less money. Uh, and that's, that's really about it. I, I, I'd say go for it. It's, you'll regret not doing it uh, far more than you'll regret um, doing it. All right. Uh, we'll wrap it up here then. Uh, thanks, Andy, a lot for coming and sharing your experiences with Indiegogo and Shark Tank. That was really valuable. And thanks, everyone, for joining us today.
Well, <laughs> I guess um, measure the costs very well and and use PR. Like, uh, I think study the landscape, get a good marketing firm that you're happy to work with, and and uh, go for it. I mean, I don't have any regrets. I just, you know, I wish it were less money, uh, and that's that's really about it. I, I I'd say go for it. It's you'll regret not doing it uh, far more than you'll regret um, doing it. All right, uh, we'll wrap it up here then. Uh, thanks, Andy, a lot for coming and sharing your experiences with Indiegogo and Shark Tank. That was really valuable. And thanks, everyone, for joining us today. All right. Have a great Friday, guys.